Hi everyone, my name is PK and I'm super, super excited actually to, to have um, someone on, on the episode today. I've got Chuan here from Duotech. So like so many of you, you guys are asking me questions about depreciation. You're asking me questions about how you can save on tax. You're asking me questions about how do we build positive cash flow portfolios? How do we build passive income, but at the same time, save tax, all these types of things. And look, you could say I'm an expert, but nowhere near as much as Tuan, who he's got a really, really successful, you could say, quantity surveyor business. I don't know what the official term is. There's like, you know, the big end of town, you got the BMTs and the like, but really for my clients and the types of businesses I like to work with, um, it's really kind of, um, you know, those more boutique, you know, mid-tier, they give you personal attention, they hold your hand, they really try to understand you. You know, that's really the type of team you want in on your side, you know, like a mortgage broker, conveyancer, quantity surveyor, you know, you want um, property managers, um, all these types of people who actually care, you know, no one cares about your money as much as you do. But if you can find the right team, then you can go really, really far in property investing. So I'm actually really, really um, glad that um, I'm doing this thing with Tuan, who's a, I, we were just speaking before, he's um, a really nice guy, if, if I can say that. Not everything is about property, you know, there's something to be said about being nice. Um, really nice guy. He's, I, I wouldn't say rags to riches story, but he's built his business in a very entrepreneurial fashion from literally, I think you said Tuan, like from your, um, you know, mum's backyard or something like that. So, you know, now he writes thousands of depreciation schedules every single year, not personally, he can't do that physically, but he has a team that, that does that. And like, this is really like, this episode is really intended to just be like a, um, you know, like no BS straight to the point ways that we can actually help you as potential or existing property investors save tax and build passive income in the most optimized way possible. Do you want to achieve wealth and passive income through property investing? PK Gupta, host of Oz Property Investment Mastery, will help you achieve passive income by buying top 5% growth and positive cash flow property and building a portfolio using data without you wasting months of time doing research, spending weekends at inspections, or dropping ten dollars to $20,000 on buyer's agents each time. So if you are confused and overwhelmed by the amount of contradictory information available online and don't know where to start, then this show is for you. So without me fluffing on for too much longer, thank you so much for um, making time to on and um, and welcome. Thank you so much, PK. And uh, it's been uh, a joy um, to, to be working with yourself and your clients. And I, I think I have to agree with you there in terms of having a boutique service. We don't work with large, large organizations when it comes to providing tax depreciation. We work with some really nice mid-tier boutique providers of uh, their service, whether it's accountants, solicitors, conveyances, uh, mortgage brokers, and of course, you know, a, an abundance of different type of property professionals, including real estate agents, property managers, and even buyers agents. So um, diverse, but you know, being able to, um, I think having a, a good enough team, not a huge operation I have here, but we have a big enough team that we're able to cater to clients um, in terms of their needs and what their expectations are and in, in, in what type of properties, depending on the type of properties that they have. Um, so, you know, myself and a, a team of 20 of us um, across Australia here, we look after um, a lot of interstate investors. Um, as you know, people buy anywhere and everywhere these days. Yeah. And, uh, 
and, and also commercial residential we we do the whole lot and we've seen it all you know we've seen uh yeah. we've seen uh petrol stations in uh in the, in, uh, in in you know regional victoria um, so there's not much that we haven't come across and that gives us good exposure to help clients cool 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 so so what i'm going to do now with your permission tuan is like just kind of be the mouthpiece for my audience um, and ask questions to you that they ask me about depreciation. So I hope you don't mind. Um, like the first thing, and you know, everyone knows that I'm against this, but first, can you start off by, you know, there is a thousand and one property investment companies out there that try to sell you a house and land package because it's brand new. And because it's brand new, it has great depreciation benefits, right? And obviously that kind of helps a business like yours, uh, an operator like yours, because, you know, you're getting that depreciation report done for the clients, you know, and they don't realize that the, the novice or, or new property investors, they don't realize that all this depreciation that you accumulate over time, you know, if and when you sell, you need to pay almost half of that back to the ATO. So I just really wanted to, to start there and I want, I wanted to ask you this question, what do you see or how do the most successful property investors use the benefit of depreciation, right? So everyone can use depreciation. It's a, um, a non-cash expense that allows you to show that even a positively geared property is actually negatively geared in the eyes of the ATO. How in your experience do you see um, the most pro advanced property investors use depreciation. Are they the ones that are buying house and land packages in whoop whoop and getting a report done? Or are they the ones buying positive cash flow properties and getting the report done? Or are they the ones buying slightly neutral or slightly negative geared properties for the purposes of growth and getting report done? There's no question that you shouldn't get a report done, but like what comprises a, a advanced property investor and their relationship to depreciation? Great. I think that's a really good question, uh, PK. And it's, it, it's a broad question because it allows us to then assess different type of characteristics of different buyers because a property investor uh, at an advanced level that has really strong income will have different uh, attributes and reasons why they're claiming negative gearing to someone who has relatively modest income and wants that uh, depreciation. And they typically will tend to buy different type of properties, right? In the space of uh, doing the, the, the uh, tax depreciation schedules for a property investor who's got a, who's got a really savvy portfolio, really expensive type properties, high-end properties, <clears throat> they will generally use depreciation as an additional negative gearing tool because most of these properties they buy could be, you know, sort of eastern suburbs or inner west Sydney. They will, they're high-cost high uh, assets, but automatically off the bat, they're, autom they're already negatively geared. And so the depreciation side of things is only going to increase the amount of, uh, because they're already negative in cash flow, negatively geared, but also negative in cash flow, what they're trying to do is reel back in a bit of that cash flow with the depreciation. Because essentially with depreciation, it's a non-cash deduction. It's only an on-paper loss. So when we write a depreciation schedule of $10,000 this year, 
we're only getting a loss of 10,000 on paper, we're not physically paying for that, for that. So that means that when we give these tax deductions to these uh, to the property investor, they will then claim a cash back of say at the maximum tax bracket of $4,600 in, in cash refund from the ATO. And that essentially means that now the property investor is only is is uh, out of pocket uh, $4,600 less than they were before getting a depreciation schedule. So for them as a savvy investor, they, they're, they're experienced, they've got a great asset, but it's costing them money, but they've got the cash flow to afford that. So that depreciation works in that sense. So they're reducing effectively the amount of the out of pocket that year, all right? But when we've got a, a, a really a, a savvy investor that's got a lower um, uh, in, a taxable income, what we're doing then is essentially we might have a positive geared property, but that positive gear of say $100 a, a, a week or a month, say $100 a week, what we're trying to do is with this depreciation schedule is we're going to say the ATO is essentially drawing back, we're saying a depreciation schedule is going to draw back our tax, de tax depreciation and reducing our taxable income by say $50. And so what we're going to do is then try to bring that, that $100, get a little bit more cash flow by negatively gearing that property and trying to get a little bit more of that positive cash flow. So from $100, we could essentially push that to $150. And so as a, as a property investor with not a huge amount of taxable income or income that we're generating, uh, we're now using depreciation to then <clears throat> increase the gearing slightly. And that gives us a stronger portfolio and then allows us the freedom to save more to buy the next property. And that's why I guess uh, you know, a, a majority of our investors are probably on that bracket where they haven't got the strongest income, they've got sort of mid-level mid, mid incomes, and they're just trying to reap a little bit more from each property. That might be $20 a week, that might be $50 a week, depending on the age of the property. And as we all know, the newer the property, the more depreciation we can claim, yeah. essentially. And so there's different types of investment strategies, depending on the type of buyer. Yeah, no, well, well, really well said. And and just to summarize that as well, I just really want people, everyone who's watching or listening to this to take home the point, as Tuan was saying, that you can have a property that gives you, let's say, $5,000 positive cash flow per year, but because of depreciation, you can actually make that a negatively geared property, or at least a less positively geared property. And that allows that depreciation to be claimed in tax. And then that 5,000 becomes 6,000 or 7,000, 8,000. I'm just using round numbers here, you know, sort of call it a three, four, $500,000 property, but cash flow is different from gearing. And the difference is depreciation. It's really important concept for people to understand. I, the question that I always get asked um, to Aunt is, look, you know, depreciation schedule is gonna cost you 400 bucks, 500 bucks, 600 bucks, something in that sort of order um, of magnitude. Is it worth it? Like, how do I, even before paying, you know, giving you my credit card detail, Tuan, how do I figure out that there's a return on investment? Like, is there a way for me to, let's say I'm buying in a, in a place like Adelaide and I've bought a $400,000 property and it was built in year 2000 or it was built in 1990, how do I figure out that actually it's worth my while to get a depreciation schedule? Yep, um, I think that's a really important question. It doesn't matter what 
what or which quantity surveyor you go to, uh, the first question is that very question is that, is my property worthwhile obtaining a depreciation schedule for, especially we're charging $500 or $600 or whatever it might be. Um, the, the legislation is essentially this. When you're a property investor, uh, as, as an individual tax uh, income taxpayer, um, you are eligible to claim depreciation. Okay, now essentially, if you're an individual, the rule is that the building itself has to be built after the 19th of September, 1987. That's when it has to commence construction, okay? So that's the question that we have to check with any property buyer. These days, in the, in, in, in the, in the time that we live, we're, we're so fortunate to have resources like RP Data. All of these historic information is already logged with RP Data, CoreLogic, which is essentially a real estate software that a lot of pro property professionals have access to. Yeah. On these apps, we can check with every address when the property is built. Most of the time, that is, I would say, 98% accurate, fairly accurate information, unless we have information that is mislodged by somebody. But um, for, the, for, for the, most, the most case, we would say that, you know, checking with a quantity surveyor, when was my property built? Um, what depreciation is eligible. So the, there's two classes of depreciation that you're entitled to claim. The first is the building, which has a cutoff of um, 1987 is the cutoff when you, it's, the, it's the earliest it can be, the latest it can be built. And then the other asset is called plant and equipment. So that makes up things like your oven, range hood, carpets, air conditioner, hot water systems. Generally, anything that's motorized or will wear and tear much faster than the building. The building, of mm -hmm. course, is being your slab, your frame, windows, doors, roof. Those assets there will last 40 years, okay? Whereas we have plain equipment assets, they're classed differently. They've got their own effective lives. So things like your oven, for example, have a seven-year effective life. Your carpet will have a 12 to 13-year effective life. And so these assets here we can claim, but on a second-hand property, the ATO does have some conditions, which we'll talk about a little bit later as to what we can claim. But generally, your building can be claimed over 40 years. So if you've got a property and PK is going to buy a property that's uh, based in Adelaide, that's 1990, he will get 40 years of depreciation from the build date. So essentially from 1990 all the way to 2030, he can claim depreciation depending on when he bought it. So he will be a, he'll have a tax deduction on the depreciation of the building of the year that he buys the property all the way till 2030. Yeah. And it was like, you were sharing with, before we started hitting record, like that sort of aha moment where you, you know, you get your first property and you get that depreciation report. And it's like, I have one property in Northern Queensland and it was about, uh, uh, I think I bought it about five years ago and it was about five years old at the time or something like that. And like I could get $12,000 in that first year as um, depreciation. I was just like, you know, wow. this thing I bought for about $350 or $400, it was positively geared. The rent was above $400, making positive cash flow or passive income, which then increased because of depreciation. I just want everyone to look into it because if you don't do it, you're literally leaving money on the table. Um, and I, I mean, I don't really care who you use. Tuan's a great guy. You should use Geotax. <laughs> but I mean, you know, the point is do it. Um, that's, do it. That's, that's the point. Um, and so on that 1987 rule, <clears throat> Tuan, so let's say I buy a property that is 
um, like 50 years old. It was built in 1980, so before 1987. Is it that I can't um, get any depreciation? Is it just useless for me to, you know, contact you? Or could it be that since that time there have been structural renovations and extension or or uh, I don't know if a deck is constituted as a um, structural renovation, but is it still worth me looking into it further? Yeah, for sure. So prior to, there was a legislation change, prior to the legislation change, you could claim depreciation on any property, even a property that was built in 1950. Uh, so if you bought a property in 2015, uh, the ATO would let you claim depreciation on plant and equipment that was essentially 65 years old. Yeah. Um, so the, eight, the, yeah. the quantity surveyor, and that's when we first met PK, well, yeah. we, 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 uh, that was the era when they would allow that. And you could buy a property that was 60 years old and still get the quantity surveyor to verify what the cost of plant and equipment was on a 60 old car, piece of carpet. And yes, a, piece of, a square meter of carpet may cost you $35 a square meter, but a quantity surveyor could go and say, you know what, there's still a residual value of $10 a square meter you could claim on all of this carpet and say, for example, it might worth, be worth $1,500 in the whole property. Um, we could claim that over the next three, four years. And instead of claiming carpet over 12 years, we yeah. just reduce the effective life and claim it over three, four years. Um, yeah. So then they've stopped that. But we'll get into that a little bit later. That is one way we can claim if you've got a property you bought before 2017. But the most important one, is capital improvements. The ATO will allow, allow you to claim building depreciation, which is your bricks and mortar, slab, framing, roofing, um, decking. Um, these assets would be depreciable over 40 years also under a residential investment property. And mm -hmm. that works as um, the cutoff being, if it's completed, the renovations are completed after the 27th of February, 1992, they are eligible to claim full depreciation on any capital improvement. So if you've done any improvements like a bathroom renovation, you put in a new bath, new sink, uh, new, new drainage, new plumbing, new, uh, new ceiling, uh, waterproofing, tiling, of course, um, they're all depreciable uh, over 40 years, but has to be done after 1992, yeah. as well as any kitchen joinery upgrades, plasterboard, painting, they're also also depreci depreciable over 40 years. And, and that's a big thing. We've found that a lot of, um, you know, obviously properties that are old, that are investment properties, people, you know, will, you know, put a little bit of money into it. Uh, and that always has the opp opportunity to increase the um, saleability or rentability of that property. And on top of that, to boot, they get good depreciation out of it as well. Um, not to mention, we've got, uh, I, I encountered a client yesterday, a customer yesterday, they had a property that was built in year 2000. And so the beauty with a property that's built in year 2000, if you renovate a property built in year 2000, you've got a kitchen and bathroom that they've upgraded. Yeah. They then demolished that kitchen and bathroom and actually reinstated that with a new kitchen bathroom. And essentially what that does is not just give you new depreciation on the whole pro property itself with the bathroom and kitchen, but you could also claim a scrap value on the old bathroom and kitchen because why? It's a year 2000 built uh, property. Those assets that they removed or scrapped from the property, demolished, they were still depreciable. And anything that you haven't claimed in depreciation, you could claim as a residual scrap. That means that a year that you go and demo, 
and, and the property is used for rental purposes, the ATO will allow you to claim depreciation, not depreciation, a scrap value out of that immediately, not to mention the new depreciation schedule on the brand new bathroom and the residual value for the next 40 years from year 2000 onwards of the, uh, the entire house. Okay, so there's actually two things. There's, <clears throat> there's a scrapping schedule and there's a depreciation schedule. Yep. Um, real question, actually, something I, I wanted to ask you, Tuan, um, and use this interview to do that. Um, <laughs> this is a real example, guys. So I bought a, a commercial property in Townsville um, relatively recently. Um, I bought it uh, like about a hundred, maybe $150,000 under market value. It's in the low 400s. <clears throat> Rent is like 8% net, you know, good, good deal, but it needs a new roof. Now we got some quotes, um, you know, it's kind of like, it's multi-tenancy, which is very rare in that price point. It's got a panel beater, a car detailer and a paint um, business or something like that. Um, it needs a new roof. The quote will be like around $40,000 to roof. Um, to get a new roof in the property, the commercial asset was built in 1980. So in terms of scrapping schedule, in terms of the timings and rules to un, um, before I get the new um, roof, you know, fitted in, should I be getting a scrapping schedule just in case there's some, you know, deductibility there or because it was built pre 1987, do I get nothing? Is commercial different in its rules as Resi? Great question. I uh, will dive straight <clears throat> into commercial and commercial is a whole different kettle of fish because remember that bit where I said that properties that were residential uh, could used to be able to claim depreciation on a property pre-2017. We used to be able to claim the whole lot, any carpet, any ovens, old range hoods, uh, the whole sh shebang, a, a room unit air conditioner, the one that hangs out your window, you could also claim depreciation on that. Well, in commercial, we could still do that. So the legislation does actually does not affect commercial property investors. So yeah. even if you buy a commercial <clears throat> property in your individual name, just like a residential property investor does, hmm. if you buy it in your individual name, you can claim full depreciation on any plant and equipment, even if it's 100 years old. And that rule still applies. Um, so the, the ATO does treat it like a business and allow that. In re, with regards to your scenario that you've given me, the roof itself, the best thing to do is get good photo evidence of the roof, the existing roof, or get a quantity surveyor to have a look at the current roof prior to the demolition of that roof and do an assessment without even having get, getting a quantity surveyor out there, a phone call to a quantity surveyor will actually tell you, okay, when is this commercial premises built? If we can't find it on IP data, there are other avenues to find out. Yeah. There's, you, you've got your, your, your contracts in place. You've got strata plans that are in place, um, even potentially a DA that would have been submitted back in the 80s or 90s. Mm. Once we have those documents, we can then find out, okay, when, when was it lodged and when did we receive a construction certificate? Or, and, and, and that's essentially when the, 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 the building was, was commenced to construct. So that means that we can say, all right, well, based on that pk we've got a roof here that was built in 1990 so we can still claim full depreciation if you don't remove it but if you do remove it based on my assessment there's probably about a two thousand uh, dollar uh, uh undeducted construction expenditure that can be written off as soon as you lift that roof off that property yeah, yeah. and i picked up that you said that um 
as long as you buy in your own name. Now, I'm not an accountant. I don't think you are an accountant either, Tuhan. Correct me if I'm wrong. Thank God. Uh, <laughs> no comment. Uh, <laughs> um, Let's leave it to them. My wife used to be a chartered accountant. Oh, okay. all, all respect, you know, but she's not anymore. She's a mum. So, um, yeah, they do, they do good work, but, yeah, I can't do that stuff. Um, hard work. <laughs> hard work. Um, the question is, and, and like, you know, we've not scripted this interview, so feel free if you don't know, Tuan. Um, if you buy um, a residential property or commercial property in a trust, like a discretionary trust, a family trust, as many people do, um, how does that impact your ability to get a depreciation benefit? Obviously, a trust is a different um, structure to your own self, um, so you won't be able to you know, offset your own PAYG income per se, but let's say I've bought a commercial asset or a resi asset. It's giving me $10,000 positive cash flow in that trust. And if, if I have a depreciation schedule and it you know, allows me to write off 5,000, does that reduce my taxable income in the trust from 10,000 to 5,000? I know that a trust isn't actually taxed, you know, it goes through to the beneficiaries and things like that, but just, just help us understand that if you can. Yeah, um, I'll try my best and I hope I get it right because I've got a, a commercial <laughs> property and a family trust, so here we go. Um, don't, Sorry, don't those are very niche questions. You can see there's a very selfish motive here. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 and if, if there are any accountants out there watching this, please feel free to reach out and uh, give us some secondary advice. Yeah. <laughs> but based on my knowledge, um, and uh, don't take this as uh, advice, but um, my 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 trust setup is that once I've got my commercial property in which I operate, um, once we we start claiming, obviously uh, getting rent from the tenant that goes to the family trust um, of that commercial where the, the commercial property is held. We can then obviously, because we have a taxable income now, rent, which is the rent, we can offset that with uh, depreciation. And not yeah. only that, on the sale of the property, we still get, I believe, um, CGT benefits because it's not a corporate trust. Yeah. And essentially that means that we're gonna get, get full depreciation. And once we have to pay the depreciation back, it's also getting the CGT discount, which is only 50% we pay back on the sale of the property. So yes, we can claim depreciation on a family trust. Um, unlike, a, you know, some might set up a corporate trust and that's where you don't have the CGT benefits, I believe. And, and also then uh, we won't get into the land tax. Yeah, 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 yeah. Com <laughs> a company is different, but yeah, discretionary trust or family trust, you get yeah. that CGT discount and it's good to hear that yeah, you can offset that rental income, that positive cash flow using that depreciation. So, you know, like you start to, you know, when you have these conversations, you start to see that almost in all instances, it's an absolute no-brainer to get a quantity surveyor to do a, up a depreciation schedule for you. I wanted to ask this question to on um, when someone like me calls you and says, hey, I've got this property, let's just say a resi property, I've, let's say I bought a Newcastle. Um, does a physical person, like an actual person, go and visit my property and kind of with a notepad say, oh, yeah, the carpet's over there. Oh, yeah, you know, that's the third bedroom. Looks kind of where it worn off. <laughs> like, how does that actually happen? Does it happen remotely? Do they go in? Is it better that they go in than do it remotely? Just have, please educate us. 
Yeah, for sure. Um, the prior prior to the legislation, the ATO <clears throat> doesn't strictly have any re recommendations as to whether we need to do an inspection on the property. I think it comes down to good judgment. Now, with the resources we have these days in terms of being able to assess properties through RP data, and you know, every time you go and rent a property out, there's a hundred new photos available of your property. Yeah. The photos look amazing. Um, and so with the technology we have, the necessity to uh, inspect a property has reduced, um, mainly because now that plant and equipment assets, because of the new legislation that's come out in 2017, a lot of plant and equipment can no longer be claimed. And that's become a really big, big case um, for, for the minimization of doing inspections. When it comes to working out depreciation of an asset, for example, an, uh, an oven or a range hood, these assets uh, usually come part of a, a scope of works when it comes to a brand new contract. You've got a new brand new building contract, they will come up with say, you know, you've got a 600, um, you know, 600 wide uh, melee oven or range hood or cooktop. Um, we generally will have an idea of what these assets will cost, um, including the cost of installation, of course, um, and depreciate based on that. Um, so usually a building contract will substantiate that. In a second-hand scenario, we don't need to de claim depreciation anymore. We do include them as part of a capital loss schedule. Um, now that the 2017, so essentially, I think that we need to explain the 2017 Go legislation. For it. Yeah, let's dive deep into this, this legislation change. <laughs> so the 2017 legislation is essentially the ATO saw that people were overclaiming uh, the depreciation on secondhand plant and equipment. So the mm -hmm. situation we had with the carpets was 60 years old and we could still claim $5 or $10 a square meter, which is completely fine. But it's when the people start claiming brand new values on a square meter of carpet that's 60 years old and say, suggesting it's worth $35 a square meter, the mm -hmm. ATO had a problem. So what they've done to eradicate the problem is by saying for individual property investors or self-managed super fund, or even um, what other scenarios? Usually, I think it's just those two organizations or even a family trust. Mm. You can no longer claim depreciation on these residential properties that are secondhand in nature on plant equipment, which is your oven, your range hood, your carpets, air conditioners, uh, hot water system. These type of assets are no longer claimable as of the 9th of May, 2017. So that means it's, a, it's eradicated all the problems of claiming secondhand depreciation. And so what are we claiming now? Mainly the building. So when we're doing a depreciation schedule for property investors these days, we're looking at the building value. Now, to get an understanding, plant equipment versus building, well, building and depreci building depreciation represents about 80% of the total construction costs almost 90% at some times. So that means that if you've got a property that's worth $300,000 to build brand new, whether, whether it was 2010 or today, the ratio is somewhere between four to five. So that means four parts would be 80% is building depreciation yeah. and 20% uh, is plant and equipment. Um, and so in order to work out the construction cost of the building, usually we work on based on a square meter rate. Uh, where it's not provided by a, a builder, a building contract. And as we know, when we buy a secondhand property, we don't get a building contract that says, oh, our property was, uh, our building was worth, uh, you know, $150,000 10 years ago. So a quantity surveyor is required 
to then make an assessment. How do we do that? We use floor plans. So, um, you know, um, liaising with the council, liaising with the client to make sure that if they have a, a building contract or an architectural floor plan that we can work off to build. If not, an inspection is required to work out the building area. Um, yeah. These details are usually available on RP data, but they're not always the most accurate. Um, and that does um, require us to do an inspection. And that means, yes, we've got, uh, these days we are a little bit fancier. We've got an app now, we go around with an electronic measuring device. We measure wall to wall and that, uh, that, that links into our app and our app will then give us a square meter uh, rate, which then helps us generate a construction cost. And generally when we don't have, um, uh, generally the rate of depreciation will come from um, what we call, we, we're, we're governed by the Australian Institute of Quantity Surveyors, the AIQS and the AIQS has guides as to what square meter rates are applicable to different type of properties in different locations. So mm -hmm. we've got rates of construction for Western Sydney, we've got rates of construction for Sydney, we've got rates of construction for Ballina. Uh, so the whole, it's, it's quite a dense type of um, uh, library that we're working with and that's released on every year. And that gives us indication of what's a construction cost of, a different, of, a, of different type of properties, where it's a medical center, whether it's a uh, childcare center, where it's a, uh, is it a, is it a, is it a, is it a, um, a double skin, <laughs> double skin, um, you know, residential building, or is it a single skin brick veneer? Um, and that will vary. And then also we have indexes. So that construction cost guide in the current year will have indexes that go all the way back to 1970. So we know exactly construction costs based on um, the, the period as an index um, to today's time. So that gives us a lot of scope to work at construction costs, but there is that element of where we need to get the actual construction um, areas by actually measuring the property where yeah. required. Yeah, there's, I mean, that's, uh, it's really good to know that because it, you know, you kind of think about what quantity surveyors do is kind of like some black magic, you know, they pull up these <laughs> numbers. Sometimes I'm like, did you just make up the schedule? Like, you know, <laughs> how do we prove it? <laughs> yeah. But there, there is a, a science behind that. it. You can't just, yeah. Like if you're thinking you can do this yourself, you you probably just want to you know think twice or or three times. Um, and the other thing is like oftentimes in my group, you know, people are asking the question, oh, I've just bought a property in Geelong, I've just bought a property in Orange, I've just bought a property in this area. Does anyone know a local quantity surveyor? To one, like you don't need a local quantity surveyor, right? Like you you have people that can work nationally. Is, is that right? That's correct. Yeah. So we've got um, a team on the floor in all the major cities to help us out um, in terms of doing inspections. But generally, when it comes to quantity surveying, um, the, the, the quantity survey is governed by the ATO and the AIQS, which is a national body. Right. And essentially what that means is that because of the study of quantity surveying covers all aspects of construction, doesn't matter what area. I mean, end of the day, a lineal meter of uh, steel is a lineal meter of steel. And so yeah. as, essentially what that allows us to do is then apply different rates and indices depending on where the properties are built to get us that construction cost. And that never varies. And as because we're all guided by that, it's, it's a called the Rawlinson's Construction Handbook. And that's what really governs all of the construction industry when it comes to standards of what something would cost. And that comes all the way down to cubic meters of concrete, yeah. uh, you know, tonnage of steel. And that really gives <clears> us, <throat> it, it, it gives us a, a scope. And so there's, there shouldn't be too much variance 
in terms of um, you, you know the di differentiation between uh, quant different quantity surveyors. And essentially, just to recap, quantity surveyors, guys, we essentially the construction economists when it comes to um, understanding the cost of Good materials. Yeah. yeah, construction economists and not understanding the cost of materials, the cost to install a certain material, um, being able to grasp that concept is what we specialize in. And so uh, quantity surveyors will work with the banks. They're recognized by the banks yeah. um, for lending, construction loan purposes. They're recognized by the ATO for depreciation purposes. And we're recognized by local councils to give advice about construction costs for uh, for the council to tax new projects, yeah. right? Construction projects. So, so it's, it's um, heavily regulated. Like it's not like you can shoot off your, you know, the side of your hip of what the, that number needs to be. And is it fair for me to say, I think it is, but is it fair for me to say that, you know, if you go with the top end of town or if you go with a boutique, um, there's not one quantity surveyor that's going to somehow magically give you a better outcome. Everyone is going to be there or thereabouts very, very similar. Um, I would have to agree. We're all, end of the day, we're all looking at the same product. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the variances should not be more than five to ten percent in terms of deviation. So yeah. um, when you're going with a quantity surveyor, I don't think it varies too much. But I think the the the, the key difference is being able to be as thorough as possible, especially mm. if you've got special circumstances when it comes to you know you've got a commercial property and you're thinking about scrapping this or scrapping that. How do we plan it? How much depreciation? How much write-off can we get? And these are the questions that, that really come into play when you're choosing a quantity surveyor that knows what they're doing and can get you. I mean, uh, uh, for example, a small business write-off, you know, not applying the small business writer. If you've got a, if you're running a pizza shop, for example, and you decide to, you know what, I need to do a new fit out or I need to do install, you know, I'm buying a brand new premises and fitting it out as a pizza shop. Well, everything that you install, if it's under, it's, if it's owned under your, own company name, uh, Pizza Hut, uh, PTYLTD, you could essentially claim everything as an immediate write-off because of how lucrative this small business write-off has become in the last uh, five years. Um, mm -hmm. And it's only gotten better because of COVID um, and, and the, the allowances that the give, government are giving are, are, are incredible. Yeah, no, that that's great to know. And, and just by deductive logic then, right, that <clears throat> if if most quantity surveyors or all quantity surveyors are basically giving you the same number at the end of the day, then it makes sense to choose someone, whether that's, you know, geotax or not, makes sense to choose someone that you can actually have a good level of service with. You can vibe with, you can resonate with, you can go on to the nuances with, like you just said, because the number is going to be the same, but if they can, you know, help you in a, in a way, or maybe even, say that you could claim this, whereas a big company may not give you that personalized service. And you might have be able to increase that number, not illegally, but just by finding um, further avenues or more uh, enlarged scope of that depreciation schedule or scrapping schedule. Um, so that's something that just came to my mind. And look, I know that 67% of all statistics are made up, but I'm pretty sure that 99% of property investors in Australia don't claim all the tax that they could. Now, I just made that number up. I think I read it somewhere. But like the point is that most property investors don't claim every last <clears throat> dollar that they can deduct and reduce their income, therefore improve their cash flow as what's possible. So like maybe to, to wrap things up, 
Chuan, like in your experience, you know, you've been doing this for probably half a dozen um, years or so. You've, you've built a big business. You've got a big team behind you. You've serviced thousands of clients or at least done thousands of uh, schedules. Um, for people watching this and, you know, generally my audience, you know, they're, they're hungry for knowledge. They don't just want to outsource the accountability or the responsibility of their financial future to someone else. They, you know, kind of, you know, between the ages of, let's say, 20 and 45, they're hungry to build passive income, not so they can buy a Lambo or anything like that, but just so they can get their life back. Um, like, what's the one biggest piece of advice other than, you know, get a, a, a report done? What's the biggest advice that you can give them in the realms of quantity surveying? Yeah, um, I think the biggest advice I could give is that, you know, it's never too late to talk to uh, a quantity surveyor. Um, the ATO is very generous when it comes to tax depreciation, they will allow it because they see it as, you know, an effort for you to invest and with investing comes entitlements and that's, that's black and white. So if you've got an investment property, they will allow you to amend tax returns. Okay. In, in some cases, up to four years, we have customers with, uh, properties that have purchased back in 1990 and were never advised about depreciation have gone all the way back by raising an objection, not always guaranteed, but raising an objection. And they went back for over, I think it was 25 years, 25 years to amend uh, tax returns uh, to, to claim. So they just like won the lottery basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, it's really important, you know, that uh, you, you build a great team uh, as a quantity surveyor. I'm, I'm, I may be biased, but like, um, you know, for myself as, as a personally, in my experience is that I've built a great team. I've done things that are wrong. I mean, I bought properties off the plan that I shouldn't have, that I didn't want to. Um, and, I, and don't get me wrong, there have been properties that are new that I've bought that have been amazing, but some, uh, you know, where I've got given bad advice on, on, on properties. And so the best thing to do is to build a good team, build a good network, be uh, be surrounded by good people that understand going through the same journey as you and sharing that passion as you and learning from them. Because, um, you know, like the old saying goes, if you never ask, you never know. And always ask the question. And sometimes, you know, these people, especially when you're surrounded by people like PK, the information is always free and it costs you nothing. And they're just generous with their knowledge. Uh, knowledge is power, but is, is, but knowledge is also useless if you do nothing with it. Um, and being able to share it, uh, is, it gives, you, um, gives people like PK also an abundance of joy, being able to, to see you thrive. So my biggest, um, you know, uh, I guess, um, advice as an, as an investor myself, uh, as a quantity surveyor, is to build a great team and always leverage on resources because these tax deductions that, I mean, I've experienced customers coming to me and saying, oh, I've never heard about depreciation and they're, you know, they're a doctor and they're, you know, in their 40s and they've got 10 properties and never heard about depreciation. They end up getting 10 reports in a row. And I think that's crazy. How is it that someone yeah. that's so knowledgeable uh, in that space um, hasn't been well educated in this space? And this is why they work. I mean, they're paying 46 cents to the dollar on their income. And um, they don't know about the, uh, the ways to save that 5, 10, 20% tax. Yeah. Uh, so it's really important to have that team, build a power team around you that understand uh, what you're going through. Yeah, no, really, really well said. And, and like you said, ask those questions. And I just want to pick up that point that you said as well, build that team around you. A quantity surveyor 
is an essential, essential, essential part of that team. Building a team does not mean that, oh, Tuan and PK are saying I need to build a team. I have no idea about property investing. So let's just find someone who will build my team for me and that will handle everything for me. That is a recipe for disaster because no one cares about your outcomes as much as you do. Building a team means to learn to be the captain, all right? The most important real estate is between your two ears. Learn to be the captain, but find your players, right? Find your players, know enough to be able to manage them, right? Know enough to be able to ask Tuan, hey, I need a, I need a scrapping schedule. I need a, this and that. You don't need to go off with that fancy app, you know, and kind of figure out the square meter rates and everything like that. Know just enough so that you're getting what you need from your team and your team will do the same as well. So hopefully that was making sense. Hopefully this interview has actually been like, actually, you know, useful. Um, I haven't got to on here just to plug his business, although it's, uh, I've used Duotex many times and I referred to Duotex for my clients, but really I couldn't care less, um, you know, who you use. Um, Duotex are fantastic. I highly recommend them. But at the end of the day, just get it done. Like, you know, just get a report done and please, please, please get educated. Okay, guys, um, anything lastly that, that you wanted to share or, or say, um, Juan? Um, Yeah, guys, it's free knowledge. We've on every, I think all, if not Dua Tax's website, all quantity surveys websites that specialize in tax depreciation, they've got free calculators. You can mm -hmm. plug in when you think your property was built or if you know when your property is built, how many bedrooms, how many bathrooms, and you could actually get a depreciation estimate and it'll actually tell you without even picking up the phone. So it's really handy these days. We've got an amazing calculator. I've spent a lot of time building. So make use of it, put it in and it's free, it costs you nothing. At least you know, $6,000, it even tells you, it tells you put in your taxable income uh, and then it will estimate a tax refund. So yeah. it, it's kind of really savvy for, for everyday property investors. No, totally. Like in almost no instances, does it make no sense to not get a depreciation <laughs> schedule if your property was built not after 1987? So exactly. there's a lot of double negatives. In other words, if it was built after 1987, you know, get on that calculator, pretty sure, you know, hundred percent of the time or close to hundred percent, it makes sense for you to just spend that 400, 500, 600 bucks. The return on investment is like massive. All right, guys, That's have it. a fantastic day. Thanks so much, Tuan. I really appreciate you coming on. Thanks, PK. Love it.